Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneurial Podcast. I'm your host, Chia Dogu. In what I like to call the Summer Personal Development Series, I have another phenomenal guest on the show today. I'm talking to Jonathan Grisbowski. Jonathan is a co-founder of a hot design startup called Penji, and Jonathan is also a podcaster who runs the Blind Entrepreneurial Podcast. He's a phenomenal guest. He's come to share his story and his background and also to tell us about his own podcast, The Blind Entrepreneur, the type of entrepreneurs he talks to and what the premise of his show is all about. I'm pleased to have Jonathan on the show today to share his wisdom about starting up and running your own business, even though he left the corporate world. And I think there's a lot of value in here for you guys that are still on the fence thinking about launching your own entrepreneurial venture. So this is one where you're going to want to take your notes and scribble some good notes while you're out there on the beach, seeping your Mai Tais and whatnot, and just pretty much enjoy yourself and learn something from someone who's uh, blazing the trail in the design space. So Without further ado, I'm going to hand it off to the rest of the show. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and wherever you're listening to podcasts. You can also find the episode on my website, which is www.odogwu.com, or even go on Podbean and Google the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast to listen to more exciting episodes of young, daring entrepreneurs like Jonathan. So without further ado, take it away. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Chiyo Dogu, your host as usual. My guest today is Jonathan Grisbowski. Jonathan was listed under the Owners Magazine's 40 Under 40. He's the co-founder of Penji, which is a software as a service platform that provides design services to marketing teams around the world. In addition to that, he's also the producer and the host of a number one rated business podcast titled The Blind Entrepreneur. Of course, Jonathan is not blind, but there's a reason he named it that way. And also there's a unique reason behind his company named Penji. So I'm pleased to have Jonathan on the show today to tell us a little bit about himself, his business, his business experience, and of course, what he's doing currently. So with that said, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Can't wait to uh, talk to your listeners and hopefully we talked a little bit off air. Um, hopefully by the end of this this conversation, we could uh, you could give me the rightful name of a, a Nigerian name uh, that I could be called. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're talking in the background. Um, Jonathan's best friend is also Nigerian, as you all know I am, and Jonathan has participated in the time-honored tradition of being a groomsman in a traditional Nigerian wedding. So he's gone through the entire process from rolling on the ground, um, <laughs> paying pay money to convince the family that the husband is the right guy for the daughter, and eating Nigerian food. So when somebody can go through the whole process, you better believe he's Nigerian whether he's born in America or wherever. So I'm definitely going to give him a Nigerian name by the end of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to it. Yeah, so Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. How did you get started on your entrepreneurial journey? Absolutely. So I'd say the entrepreneur journey has been the summation of uh, a whole lot of failure and, uh, and very little success. And, and when I say very little success, the, there was more failures 
um, than success. The, the failures are very are very low, and the successes are very high. Uh, I'd say that the uh, the the bug, so to speak, of when the entrepreneurship journey began was when I was 14 mowing lawns, and uh, my mom came up to me and told me at one point in time. Uh, that I need to go out and get a real job. And I thought to myself, well, why do I have to go out and get a real job when I'm I'm literally making money on my own, mowing lawns? We had about like uh, 40 to 60 lawns that we were doing on a, on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. uh, $20 a piece. And so it was pretty, pretty good money that we were making at the age of 16. And I hate to say it, but um, we blew all the money on uh, stupid things like Pokemon cards and um, and junior bacon cheeseburgers at uh, Wendy's. So uh, we did not invest any of it uh, smartly or wisely. Um, fast forward, I'd say um, when I went and, I, and my mom told me to go out and get a real job, I unfortunately listened to her. And uh, fortunately or, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, and it, and it led me to a job at, uh, at Apple. And I, I worked for Apple for a couple of years, and, and, it, and it taught me a whole lot of, uh, of amazing things about myself, about how a company works, how it operates, how to communicate effectively. Um, so my, my first entrepreneurship career uh, journey started uh, and taught me how to, what, what work ethic looked like. Mm. Um, how do I work my butt off? I'm out in the sun um, grinding every single day from 6 a.m. to whenever the, the sun goes down. Um, so that built that foundation there. And the second thing was that the foundation was, with Apple was what a company looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final thing was just the, the grit and the, the never say uh, die or never say no attitude um, that I learned from my experiences in owning an agency for the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, it inevitably um, just not being fulfilled and not feeling fulfilled as I would, as one would have hoped for. Um, and now where, what we're doing with Penji, which is the culmination as stated before of just every single success and every failure that I've ever had. And I am on, I am more elated and more excited to wake up every single day, uh, to talk about Penji and to help people out, um, now than I've ever been in my entire life. So just excited and Grateful for the opportunity to share my story with you guys today. Great, great. So now you mentioned you worked in Apple for a number of years and then you left to start your own business. So you talked a little bit about the lessons you learned, but were there any particular moments or was there any factor that actually caused you to say, hey, you know what, I don't think I'm going to stay in Apple and rise across the corporate ladder and then be a director or manager or whatever the top level is, I actually want to go and build my own thing. So was there any particular moment while you were in Apple that caused you to think and, sh- and shift? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I could say that there's a point in time where I was just extremely sad and depressed mm-hmm. um, by going into my work, my yeah. job every single day and being asked the same questions and just being... Uh, just kind of having a career and a life that was very stagnant. It was very linear. It was nothing, nothing was happening in it. And, mm. and to go to a job and, and, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that like, I need to be my own boss. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really felt that philosophy. I never had that, that type of ego like, Oh wow. You know, this is, 
this is my my goal, but more so what my goal has been throughout my entire career has been the ability of helping people and wanting to help people. And um, working in, in that, that environment, I wasn't necessarily helping anyone. Hmm. And I wasn't providing anything more than, um, than just a, a solution to a computer problem or mm-hmm. to a solution to a phone problem or whatever it is. Um, and, and so that's then that kind of like, you know, thinking about it now, it, it makes a lot of sense why I, I felt uh, unfulfilled because I felt that same feeling with, with the, uh, with my past organization, the agency that we had, mm-hmm. we were doing business for five years and we were going very well and we we're growing. We had a lot of amazing clients, but that feeling came back to me and I remembered what that felt like when I was 23. Three when I felt 22, 23 when I felt it the first time, and when I felt it again at uh, 27, 28. Um, now being 29, just a couple of years later, um, I, I knew that feeling. I knew I knew where I was headed. I knew I needed to change and adapt. And so it wasn't until um, I, I don't know if you've ever done anything in your life where or anybody listening right now where you you literally wake up every day and you just feel as if that you're collecting money. Yeah. Um, and that's like the the wrong way to live your life. Anytime you want to be able to work for, for the paycheck, I mean, that's all well and good and people can get by, but it's not fun. And mm-hmm. that's what we kind of were at Water, Waterfront Media. It was just an organization that collected money. And, um, and so when we went to an event on October 20th, the press asked uh, myself and my, co- my now co-founder, um, what are you doing for your city? And how are you able to keep the talent that's coming into the city mm. to stay to stay here? And I live in a um, in a city called Camden, New Jersey, which is right outside Philadelphia. And if you ever do some research, it was labeled as one of the most dangerous cities in America at one point in time. Um, it's uh, predominantly um, you know, people who don't necessarily look like me or have the background in education like me. They don't may not have particularly the resources as me in particular. And um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity here. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to create an organization that not only provided a great service, but also gave back to our local community. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that through um, through multiple channels. We're offering students jobs and internships. Uh, to the inner city youth, the only people that we hire in America and the United States is from Camden. Hmm. Um, and they're, they're from our city. They were either born here, they were raised here, they go to school here, they're residents here. Um, and then we also, so there's that aspect. And we also help our nonprofits that are local to our community as well. That's awesome. That's very awesome. It's very nice when a company is not just thinking about profit for themselves, you know, being able to earn enough money to buy Rolls Royces or more houses somewhere, but thinking of the economic and social impact of the activity they do to their environment where they are, because there's no point in building a successful business that benefits you while the rest of your community or your society continues to suffer and live in poverty. Yeah, absolutely. Was there what was the question in that? No, no, no. It's not a question. I'm just, I'm just stating that it's good when you have a oh, mission yeah. to well, absolutely. your business. Yeah. Well, yeah, because because when it comes to when you're doing something like 
like that and you're helping people, it, it, it drives you to do, it drives you to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if you're only helping yourself, then like, is that really what you want your life to be defined as is yeah. just you being, you being selfish and, and listen, there are moments where I'm extremely selfish and there are moments where we're all extremely selfish as human beings mm-hmm. that, that happens. But at the end of the day, um, the things that wake me up and the things that push us forward are the, the stories that we're able to hear where we're helping people, um, that have hated their jobs their entire life. Yeah. And now they're working for a young startup that, um, is doing some, some great things. And not to mention, um, there's 2.2 billion dollars being spent in the city of Camden right now. Um, and it's a lot of revitalization that's happening and there's buildings being built there are uh, roads being roads being paved, mm-hmm. but we're not architects. We're not yeah. engineers, so we can't help that. And the businesses that are coming here have a a uh, unwritten law, so to speak, that they need to hire people from the city of Camden too. And okay. the people and the companies that are coming here, some of them aren't doing it. So if a small startup that doesn't have an ounce of funding, that's cash flow positive that has worked their butts off, um, developed processes and procedures themselves. And we're hiring inner city youth. Why can't you do the same? Yeah. And, and that goes to the people listening that aren't in our area. And that goes out to the people that are in your, your local community. You don't necessarily have to get talent from the biggest and the brightest, um, universities in, in the world. Mm-hmm. You can still obtain the same talent, um, you just have to be able to to look out for it. Yeah, because it's all about recognizing potential and not necessarily what is on the resume. Because a lot of people, if you had looked at their resume on the surface, you wouldn't have employed them or you wouldn't have figured them out to do great things. Like I think I was reading last week on LinkedIn about Steve Jobs, where he applied for a job and it was the only one resume that happened to still be around. So the person put it up after 20, 30 years or so. And they were like, oh, Steve Jobs made a lot of mistakes on his resume. But yeah. uh, in as much as there were mistakes and all that, that they could tell that the guy had a drive and a passion to do something with his life, though he didn't get the job. So looking out for the potential talent around you, I think it's a very strong way of positioning yourself in your community because it shows you're vested in the growth and in the success of of whatever you're doing in that town. And you're also vested in making sure that it becomes a more attractive place to do business. You turn around the uh, negative reputation that uh, Camden has for the better and which elevates everything else, property values, business values, social value, you know, moral value. Every, everything just goes up all at once. Yep. So I, lo- I, and, love, I love that. Yeah, go on. Well, yeah, and I appreciate that. The, the, the one thing is that this doesn't necessarily, this isn't a one, um, a one city role here. You mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to find a city that is, um, uh, going through, uh, change. You could do this in your own city too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I implore people to, that are listening right now that they can do the same. Um, yeah, it would be awesome if people could buy the service that we, that we sell. Um, you know, we love our customers, but more so, uh, inspiration and in that, that you don't have to move to New York or Philadelphia mm-hmm. or uh, or San Francisco to be successful. Yes, um, that you could do it in your own backyard because of this world of this digital economy that we live in oh, yeah. uh, in today's uh, day and age. Yeah, 
So that's great. So let's move over to... I see here on your LinkedIn profile that you're on the board of Waterfront Ventures, which is a VC company, correct, in Camden? Yeah, it's a, it's an economic development organization. Yeah. So, like that organization helps. Um, that's actually where my co-founder started. Uh, mm. He started that business. So, I'm on the board um, as a liaison, just to to help out and build relationships and community. But the goal of Waterfront Ventures is to to bring 100 businesses into the city. Mm. And uh, right now, we're the only tech company in um, in. Camden, and um, we plan on bringing in 99 more versions of, of us, and we want to be the gold standard of, of what businesses do and how they operate. Because uh, you know, if, if 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 we need to live, we need to um, preach what we uh, we need to do what we preach. Yes. All right. So, where did the idea for Penji come from? Um, the idea from Penji came from a well, a couple of things. So. The idea originally came from when we were interviewed by our um, – the implementation came from an interview. Okay. Uh, but I'll speak to the original idea of where it came from. So we went to on a trip to Vietnam, mm. um, and and my, uh, my now co-founder and I were sitting. We both had different businesses, and we were sitting down at a coffee shop in a city called Phu Walk, and um, it's it's – it's kind of weird because uh, my co-founder is a, is a, is a man and uh, we very much so both like uh, the opposite sex. And um, I probably went on the most romantic uh, islands in the world mm-hmm. with my uh, – with my. I've probably done more romantic things with my <laughs> co-founder uh, than I have with uh, my girlfriend <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So uh, we went to uh, this place called Fu Walk and I mean we've had – coconut on the uh on the beach we did massages on the beach oh, I mean, my. we watched the sunset i mean we we pretty much did everything without saying i love you so, <laughs> <laughs> um but with that said we uh we were at a coffee shop and we were just like you know what like this isn't what we're doing right now it's not enough and what can we do more and at the yeah. time it was it was called something else and he he brought the idea up, and I actually told him to go f himself. Uh, like real, like real talk. I I said like, there's no, like we can't be doing this. Like, like this is we're already switching. Like we can't. This this can't be it. And mm-hmm. after the, the original um, you know comments of just like f you and and that initial anger, um, you started thinking about it some more, and it, and it actually made sense. Um, the way agencies are, like our biggest problem as an agency was the design. Finding a trusted designer, yes, um, because we need to look good, right? Mm-hmm. You need to look good. Yeah. That's the biggest differentiator in business is your design. Mm-hmm. If you don't look good, if you don't look the part, if you don't dress the way that you're supposed to, um, people aren't going to respect you. So that goes the same way with the digital, the digital aspect. So yes. we knew design was an issue, and uh, we knew that other agencies like us had the same issues. So we um, we we came up with the concept, and in the next couple of days or so. We uh, not only signed up for our competitors, but we started uh, reaching out and providing a survey. And uh, we surveyed our our, uh, our existing audience of about. I, I mean, we have like close to a couple thousand friends uh, between all of us, and um, and I think we got about like 
150 surveys, mm-hmm. something around that, that line. Yeah. And we asked them, um, if we built this, would you buy it? Hmm. And if we built this, what do you want? And they inevitably became our foundation of our existing customers. Okay. And then from there, it just turned into more and more and more and more. But um, the idea basically just came from two things. Being asked the question, what are you doing for your community? And being asked the, the and then experiencing the hardships of of just being being an agency. Yeah. Now, Mike, I have a question. When I think of design, especially if you're designing for a company, you know, you think about it's a one-time expense. You know, if I'm going to brand my new company, I'm going to put the money to invest and do it once, and I'm done. I'm not going to probably brand again for a set period of time. Now. Your business model is more of a SaaS version, which is a monthly payment in exchange for doing design work. So do you guys only work with like other agencies that don't have the capacity to do the design work or what? Yeah, so um, I'd say it's like at this moment. So here, let me just tell you how our thought process was. In sure. the very beginning, we were almost like we would have put a million bucks on the people that needed us the most were small businesses and startups. And from using and researching and we found out that um, those were the customers that, like what you just said, that that exact experience. Mm -hmm. They literally, they need it and then they, they, once they get it, they go. Yes. And that's not, I mean, yes, that's profitable because you get that burst of, of clients, but it's not, um, you have to find those customers over again. Yes. So what we found is that agencies were, because we were an agency ourselves, we developed a process that helps agencies out because we know what they need. Okay. So, um, we can help both customers and we can help both customers. Well, however, the customer that primarily uses us, is the agency mm-hmm. um, just we like we like working with them because mm-hmm. we can speak their language they know what to expect yeah. they know the timetables they know uh, when to receive things and they're not necessarily nitpicky as as like a small business would be or a yeah. startup would be um, you know they, they they have a level of, of expertise and and quality that they must uphold which we always do mm-hmm. um, but what we found is a lot of the startups and a lot of the small businesses there, they're so into their own brand. I'm oh, sorry, sorry about the noise. No, um, no. But they, uh, they're so into their own brand that they just they keep asking questions and fine tuning and tweaking, and so it takes a while to to deliver that experience for them because they just need so much. Yes. Yeah. And so, what about in terms of differentiation? So, how does Penji differentiates itself from, you know, uh, a platform like Upwork or 99designs, for example. Yeah, so our competition uses primitive ways of communicating, and it uses pr- primitive ways in order to obtain the, uh, the service, the, the design itself. And what we specialize in and what we want to focus on primarily is that communication. So mm-hmm. we don't want you to send emails anymore because emails can get lost in translation. They are cumbersome. They are annoying at times. And 
So that's number one. And number two, we want to be able to make it easier for everybody to be able to use, to get the designs that they need. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the service that we provide, the, soft, the software that we've created provides all of that. Okay. Um, and so we make it easier because our SaaS, our, our software, our service, our platform, whatever you want to call it, um, allows you to communicate directly with your designer. Okay. So you don't need to email anybody. Okay. You can do it. You can do and chat with the with somebody directly inside of that that platform. Um, you can receive all of your designs. You can edit the. Um, you can suggest edits directly in the software as well. Okay. So if you have a logo and maybe uh, they spell your last name wrong. Um, because I'm sure somebody has, uh, spelled your last name wrong. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they spell my last name wrong too, but hypothetically speaking, they spell our names wrong. Yeah. And you're like, Hey man, uh, you didn't, you didn't put the G in there. Well, you can click on the design that we created for you and you can tell us that we spelled it wrong rather than having to send an email, rather than having to complain and call us up. Um, you can just do it directly on the software itself, and mm-hmm. it's very, very easy and simple to use. Mm. So I think in, in a nutshell, to recap, we, we fix communication, um, and we're an out-of-the-box solution. So we can you just plug and play. You, you sign up, and you're ready to go. Mm. Okay. Okay. So how did you guys start growing this business? Because it's a young startup, but you grew from zero to 100 customers in a relatively short period of time. So how, what, what were some of the things you did to grow and scale quickly? A couple things, and none of them are going to be sexy. Um, <laughs> they so never are. They never are. You got that right. So I would say the, the biggest sales uh, approach that we've used has been an unscalable process at first. Okay. And just kind of throwing everything at the fan um, to and find out like what process makes the most sense okay that was the first thing and that that was great and it also screwed us at the same time because once we actually hit a number where we needed to start scaling it was a little bit harder to scale because um we we didn't necessarily have all the ducks in a row so some of the things that we did was the obvious stuff um content marketing Mm mm-hmm um, we did a lot of advertisings and cold email, okay. but the one thing above everything else is that we were consistent about it. Mm. So even though we weren't necessarily strong in any of the areas, we made sure that every single day we came into our jobs that we did some form of sales. So at the time we were about like 12 people deep. Now we're 23 people. And so for us being a small group, we had to make sure, and they're all in our office too. So we had to make sure that everyone was on the same page. Some of the people that we uh, work that uh, are team members of ours, they've been with us since uh, from the agency and up until now. So they had that, well, are we an agency or are we a SaaS? Because they're two completely different styles of business. That's true. So what we did, and this is pretty controversial, um, to get everybody realigned with the new vision and the new direction of the company, we fired every single one of our, our, our employees. And then we rehired them the same exact second, the same day, <laughs> under, the new, under the, new, the new brand. Okay. 
And we kind of look at it from the standpoint of like shedding our own skin. Okay. So gone, we, we made it dramatic you know, by firing and we made it dramatic by hiring mm. because we want them to feel and want them to know that you know, are no longer associated with that crap company before. Yeah. What you're associated with is an organization that has uh, that can stand the test of time, and that actually stands for something more than just a service. Um, so once we were able to do that, then we had to kind of just like re-educate ourselves, more importantly, and then also translate that that education to our team by making them all do some form of task that uh, moved the company forward in terms of sales. So even if they were a designer, even if they were a uh, customer service or they're in SEO or social media, um, every single person had to this day has some form of sales um, that they have to hit. Okay. Um, whether that's emailing, prospecting, content, something. Everything revolves around sales within our company. And I, and I love that you make sales uh, distributed in terms of it doesn't belong to the sales team. It belongs to everybody because if we're all not putting in our weight to sell our services, then we're all not going to eat. You know? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think sales can be uh, – if your your team is currently afraid of the word sales, mm-hmm. um, I, I look at it from a couple of things. Number one um, – they don't understand your company well enough. And you can easily fix that by educating them about how you're helping people um, and what your service, how your service uh, helps the end user. Mm-hmm. Because if, if they understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish, then it's not sales anymore and it's just conversations. Okay. So, um, it, it was, it, it was, I mean, still to this day, I, I would say it's not perfect, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and it sounds like it's the right track to go because when I, a lot of people think about sales, I, when I think about sales, I think about somebody just trying to come and try and like seduce me or cajole me to get in my business. Whereas, you know, if you make every day in life, we're all selling something, whether, you're talking to your girlfriend or you're talking to your parents. It has to do with sales. Sales is basically trying to convince some, someone to do something you want them to do for you, whether it's to come along with you on a trip or to buy something for you. You have to think about it as being in a conversation. And the more natural you can make that conversation, the easier it is to get that person to yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think it's a little bit different from a service business mm-hmm. to do that. Than it was uh, for an agency, uh, an agency versus a, a SaaS, SaaS business. business. Because now, every time we jump on the phone, we're losing money. Oh wow! And and I, I mean, let's let's be real. Three hundred and forty nine dollars a month. Yeah. Right. Um, the minute you jump on a call, let's just say an average an average um, hourly uh, rate for an agency is um, eighty five dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get on four phone calls and you're you're pretty much almost at your limit yes and um and you haven't and started work you haven't even started exactly you haven't even started work so now that we're a SaaS, we have to make sure that every every form of communication is streamlined and every process is is tight hmm. um and and, and lean hmm. 
So how did you guys um, come up? come up with the streamlining of your processes and your systems to build the business more effectively? Because I know as a SaaS business, that's kind of like the number one thing a lot of people get wrong in that they don't think about processes and systems early on up until they start to have problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think one of the, the hardest things that we, that we found was um, finding the right software. Okay. Um, and I think that a lot of people feel as if that they need software in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. And um, when you say software, what do you mean? Like Slack? Yeah. Like, okay. like, like a lot of people won't move until they, they necessarily have the right fit. Okay. Um, and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I mean, I can't start the affiliate process because I don't know. I don't have the email trip campaign. Um, I, I can't sell this service cause, uh, I, I don't have the processes set up or, uh, I, I mean, I can't cold email people because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to track it. Um, so we, what we did first was we kind of said like, let's just get it done. Stop holding ourselves back and let's just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'd say probably up until even now, um, now we're more, we're more data and analytics company now because what we realized just from trial and error is that you can't make business decisions unless it's backed off of data. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not tracking this, if you're not categorizing everything and you're not moving with purpose, um, you can't make a smart decision. Because, uh, and one of our advisors actually told us this, and, and, I, and I implore people to ask themselves the same question. Um, if I were to give you a dollar, where would you put it in your business? Mm. And honestly, I got asked that question and I was like, I don't have to know, man. Like, I have no... <laughs> I have no idea, um, and that's a problem because, as one of the co-founders and the driving forces of the company, one of the driving forces of the company, um, you need to know where to put your dollar. Yeah. Is it investing in, in another team member, like hiring? Um, is it putting that uh, that extra dollar in in uh, advertising? Um, what is going to move your move the needle to to get your company to where you want it to be? For us, we want it to. Um, you know, hopefully one day we could, who knows, we could sell. Um, but we, at, right now, the only thing that we care about is getting to 1,000 customers, getting to 2,000 customers, 5,000, 10,000 customers. So like, we have very large goals for our company and for ourselves. And I think you just need to be able to ask yourself what it is that you want to be. And mm-hmm. if you're not as weird and crazy as we are, that's, that's fine. Maybe you just want to be local. Maybe you just want to be able to own your own territory and domain. Mm-hmm. That's cool, but you have to have those those healthy conversations with yourself as to what you want and 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 what do you expect out of your life. Love it, love it. All right, and as we start to transition and wind down the show, I have like one or two personal questions for you. So my first question is this: you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you, like the rest of us, have faced challenges and failures in the past. So could you talk a little bit about one of the biggest um, failures you've experienced and how you overcame it and what you learned from it sure the 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 biggest fear i've had was um i was my myself i was afraid of myself Mm. and that there there comes a time where me personally i we all have egos yeah and some of them are much stronger than others and 
some of our egos can easily be scratched and uh, can tarnish relationships. And what I found was I was going down a path that wasn't, wasn't good for myself and for the people around me. I was um, a very, at one point, a very egotistical individual. I still think, I mean, I have to have an ego because you're an entrepreneur. But um, my, the ego was got in the way of, of any type of potential growth in the company and any growth within myself. And it came a lot of really interesting conversations that we've had with team members and, and, and executives within the organization to make me aware of, of just things that are happening. Um, and what can you do to overcome those things? And the, the first and foremost was number one, I was a bad leader hmm. and, and I, I acknowledge that and I'm still not the best leader, but, um, being that this is quote unquote, one of my only jobs I've ever had, um, you kind of learn on the go and mm -hmm. you learn through, uh, from you learn through other people. Um, and sometimes it's the expense of uh, employees. And and so what can you do to make yourself a better human being? And it's providing that balance. Um, I don't think I had enough balance in my life, okay. one. Um, and I always felt as if that at one point in time that I was bigger than the company. Mm. And at, at the end of the day, the things that I learned is that you are not bigger than the company. The company will always be bigger than you, and you are 100% re uh, replaceable. Um, let's look at uh, Uber, for example. The guy who created Uber is no longer the CEO. He's just uh, a, a co-founder. He's living on the sidelines yeah. because of just stupid things that he, that he did professionally. Um, you can look at the, uh, the, the, what's happening in, in Google right now, and, okay. and, and, and uh, there is the uh, recent today's news about Theranos. Um, the CEO did something stupid, and um, they're now gone. Now, I've never said it. I'm, I'm not going to say here I've, I've never done anything stupid, but I can say that it, it puts me into perspective and puts my life into check that I need to make sure that I'm constantly being a positive um, resource to every single person that is on that is in our company and to yeah. the people in our, I interact with, mm -hmm. um, and I always have to make sure that I'm on stage 100% of the time. Mm. Because if if I don't live that lifestyle where everybody is looking at me and um, and I say something that you know maybe a joke um, or maybe I I, I uh, whatever whatever it may be, I need to just say to myself and hold every single person in the company. Um, that we're always on stage as leaders and we need to be on our A game from the minute that we walk into the door um, to the minute that we uh, the, the minute that we go home and, and, and go back to our, our houses or apartments. I love that being being present and being upfront about leadership. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. And um, my next question is looking back on the journey, I know you just started you know, your career thus far. But um, looking back, do you think there are things maybe at the beginning when you were starting out or even while you were working with other companies that you could have done better to either improve your skill set as an entrepreneur or to make you better prepared for entrepreneurship going forward? And this is um, like me, me looking at a, at a younger age. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Probably uh, read more. Okay. Um, and and I say read more in two ways. I think early on in my career, I read everything that the internet told me to read. Okay. So if it popped up on my newsfeed, uh, I read it. And or if uh, somebody sent me an article, I read it. Mm. Or if one of my favorite entrepreneurs um, created a piece of content, I watched it. And that has been, I'd say, one of the biggest regrets of my life is is spending that time listening and reading the bullcrap that people, other people have uh, mentioned. It's relatively easy to get featured in these large publications. Mm-hmm. And there's no disrespect at all to these publications, but a lot of these people aren't vetted and they're not trusted and they're not proven. They're just giving their expertise because they got an opportunity. Mm-hmm. But the things that, that stands the test of time and can never be changed are books. And you can go, go to the store and get a book on um, Barnes & Noble. Uh, I'd, prefer, I'd recommend uh, reading a book that is um, published by a trusted publisher mm-hmm. because they had some type of agreement and they've had some type of contract that holds them to that standard. And so we are reading we should be reading more books than we should be reading articles. So that would be my biggest my biggest um, like learning experience. And the one thing that I wish I did sooner was read more books rather than articles. Mm. That's very interesting you said that because I think for me I kind of got into reading articles a little later because growing up I in Nigeria I always had uh, access to a library. When I came to college in the U.S., I practically lived in the library with interlibrary loans, getting books from other other colleges around the U.S. and just yeah. reading, 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 reading. In fact, I think at one point I had before I left the U.S. I had up to four hundred books in my library at home in my wow. apartment. Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. Unfortunately, I couldn't take them all, but you know, yeah. So. That advice is so crucial because I think I learned a lot about history, about business, about how people think in general. Because in as much as we want to be better entrepreneurs, you can even learn a lot about business and life by reading, let's say, a historical book on someone that started a a cooking, cooking, being a cook or how to make yeah. a cookbook or something like that. Or leadership from like a military officer exactly, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. There are so many lessons that are applicable because these are timeless principles that is just based on that person's frame at that time. That person happened to be in the military, you know, and they learned those leadership principles. But that doesn't mean those principles, if you plug them into a business, if you plug them into academia, if you plug them into nonprofits, they won't work. They will always work because they are tried and tested principles. Yep, yeah, 100%. All right, so my last question for you for today, I know we've run a little longer, but I've enjoyed having you on. So um, one thing I want to ask you is for someone sitting listening to the podcast and they too are kind of, you know, struggling with their corporate job right now and they want to start a business or they want to want to at least test the waters maybe with a side hustle or something, what would you advise the person listening to the show today that is exploring entrepreneurship but is not yet committed to go 100% into entrepreneurship to start doing to prepare themselves? Um, I'd say find somebody else that, uh, that you want to inevitably become or 
be like that particular individual and find a way to work for them for free, um, work for them on the side, or find a way to be around that particular individual or that type of company. Um, so if it's a company, try and find a way to work for the company for free. If it's a person, uh, try to hang out with that person and be around that person, become that person's friend. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I, I think that's the one thing that I wish that if I could, one of the one things that I wish that I could have done was I wish I would have been able to experience more yeah. and be able to talk to more people and instead of kind of just like being on my own for most of it and mm -hmm. figuring it out. I mean, I don't regret any of the things I've done because it got me to this position right now, but I think I could have, uh, I, I could have failed less and experienced more from hearing the stories of other people, mm -hmm. um, and figuring out what they were able to do first. And I, I'd say, I say that is probably the most important thing. If you don't have it figured out just yet, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but if you're really serious about it, you, you'd already be doing it now. Um, so yeah, just go out there, reach out to somebody, put yourself in awkward situations because uh, you never know what's going what's gonna to turn out of it. I, I could say everything great in my entire life has come from a situation where I didn't expect it to turn out the way that I thought it would. Mm -hmm. um, whether that's going to an event, whether that's meeting uh, a particular individual, um, I've always went into, into that particular task as like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be cheesy. You know, this is going to, like, I don't, I don't need to go to this. Like, it's mm -hmm. fine. And then I go to it, and then I'm like, holy crap, I just, this is what happened? It's like, I, I, I did this today? Like, I, I talked to this person? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll give you an example, too. Never in a million years, I have a podcast just like just like you do, and mm -hmm. never in a million years I would have uh, thought that I would have been able to get the, the amount of people that would want to talk about themselves on my podcast. Yeah. And number two, the amount of talent that have been able to be on my podcast um, I just recently um, interviewed uh, five of the top entrepreneurs, uh, think thinkers, investors in the world, and that was all because I just put myself out there and I tweeted them, mm. and um, and I didn't expect anything of it. And a lot of people will be like, "Yeah, you know, I I, I tweet all the time." Yeah, <laughs> use it to your to use it to your advantage, man. Stop stop talking about yourself and just engage yourself in conversations. Mm. They just waste waste their tweets when they can actually leverage them for more powerful stuff. Yeah, so that's good that you mentioned the podcast. So tell us a little bit more about um, the Blind Entrepreneur Show and what you talk about and uh, what you're doing with that project. Well, first and foremost, I'd love that we need to get you on the show. Oh, thanks. Um, that, that'd be that'd be awesome. Um, and then two, it's just it came from, and maybe you can speak to this too. But I started the podcast because I was lonely. And, uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to learn more from people yeah. and I knew that there are people that are in this world that, uh, that experience things more so than I did. Very similar to a history, reading a history book. Mm -hmm. I ask questions on my podcast that help me out personally Yes. because I know it's going to help somebody else. Yes. So if you're going through issues of leadership, ask leadership questions. If you're going through, um, I, I nowadays what I do is I ask that when I first started the podcast, I was like, you know what, let's talk about their life. Mm -hmm. And that was cool and that worked out well. But now all I talk about is how they grew the company. Yes. And I ask about um, wh how, what did they do to get their first 100 customers? Mm -hmm. 
Because if I can find out how they did it, I might be able to apply it to my own business yes. too. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And you're about 150 plus episodes in. I know, yeah. I know for me to, like you said, you started out of loneliness. For me, kind of the same thing, but I also started mine because A, I wanted to learn more about how to build a business from people building a business in Africa specifically at the time. And mm. then I was just like, I was not engaged in my work when I was working in management consulting and I needed something to just engage me and something to make me creative because I, was, I mm. felt I was just going to work to crunch Excel come back home exhausted and mm -hmm. I wasn't like really firing my brain cells so I'd schedule my podcast interviews I remember clearly at 3 a.m 4 a.m because Africa was five hours ahead and that's the only time most people could talk to me and I'd do that after that take like a 30 minute nap go take a shower hop on the, the train to New York to go to work and I'd feel yep. energized all day mind you I've been up since 3 a.m and I only mm -hmm. got to bed at like 10 or so. And I was so energized compared to when I'd sleep the full eight hours and then get to work. So I was like, there's really some value to, you know, having a in-depth conversation with somebody somewhere across the globe, you know, getting advice, life experiences, share, sharing personal adventures and stories and just making meaningful connections. And that's yep. what I continue to do it to, till today, you know. <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah it's it's all about that grind man and uh i'm grateful for people like yourself that are uh that are, that are doing some cool things on podcasts and uh i'm appreciative of of this time that we had together to share our stories yeah yeah it's my pleasure having you man i really enjoyed the conversation and of course we're gonna we're definitely good to stay in touch and keep uh connecting and sharing stories but uh before i let you go i came up with a nigerian name for you Oh, let's so, do it. So I'm going to give it to you. So like, so I'm sure you know Nigeria, the big tribes are Igbo, Hausa, and Yoruba. And I fall under the Igbo tribe, but I don't know many Igbo names because I've not spent time there. But a lot of my friends are Yoruba, and so I know the names and the culture well. And so one of the names that stuck out in my mind was based on your story and our conversation thus far is um, Oladele. So... Is O-L-A-D-E-L-E. -E, and what it translates to, it means a person of success. Mm, I like that. So the short that, form is Dele, D-E-L-E, -E, but Oladele is a person of success, which I think you are. I appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So it's O-L-A-D-E. D-E. Or D-E-L-E. -E. Okay. Yes. Beautiful. Hey, I appreciate that, man. And thank you so much. Oh, and, no uh, problem, buddy. And I'm going to do my research and I'm going to find out exactly what, what the origins are and the meaning behind. I'm going to do probably more research than you expect. So I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, and thank you for, for everything. It means a lot. No problem, man. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com.